0: Thanks really, Melanie, for awesome worship. We're gonna have a worship after preach. So sure, I have not preach for a long time, so it's, it's great to be back. Been yeah. um got a rust, two or three years. I've probably preached sure. oh the full code that's going back two or three years. So nice just to be up here. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, yeah, a lot of the lot of the leadership's away. I think Terrence, uh, surfing and body. Um, Luke, <laughs> no, he is he there? oh, there. oh <laughs> <laughs> it's like he the no, it's September. Oh, he's not there. How's he doing? i sorry. He's not doing surfing in Bali. Not yet, he's going there. Uh, yeah. uh, Luke and Jane have been in Greece and uh, Dave's off to Sweden. so a lot of cool travels going on, and the lady who just prayed for me is my fiancee, <laughs> awesome preacher you've been able to listen to in the last few months in the church as well. And we actually just been in the UK, um, Jesse graduated at the University of Bristol, and uh, it was my fourth year. So, yeah, we had some cool celebrations, and the trip was quite interesting, we, we thought we were uh, running into a number of problems on the trip, and we weren't quite sure we were under some great spiritual attack, but um, I lost my bags on the way there. Um, Jesse got stuck on a the, uh, bus exploded on the way to Wales. Got stuck for five hours on the, on the bridge. Um, Jesse crashed the car. <laughs> <laughs> she crashed Caleb Jesse's golf. Wow. The whole time we'd been driving, and I was we're like, getting close, we're getting close, we're getting close, but I don't want to say anything, you know, you don't want to. Of active driving, getting close, but then we actually hit the reading mirror. And then the decision was what we do do we drive off or um, do we do something about it? The thing I'm preaching on truth and integrity (laughs) decided to write a little note and we stuck it in the door handle. The guy was amazed, he wrote back, Thank you so much, Company, you you did something, and you know, 200 pounds later. and then we thought the trip wasn't going to get any worse and on um, Friday, and Saturday, Jessie missed her um, flight. do it, she missed the connecting flight, So she was delayed from London to Doha. So she got stuck in Doha for 20 hours. And they gave her a, a, a coupon for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very, um, very traumatic for her. And a lot of people shouting at the, the transfer desk. And um, Jessie's mother bless her. She's full of faith and a great prayer. And she said, "It was two hours before the flight. Why don't you go and just see if you can get an upgrade? Just go and tell them you've been exhausted and you've got to come back to Cape Town." She went. She complained. And she got an upgrade. So she went in the plane and turned left. Yes. <laughs> so we should just pray, Dad, get to turn left. She once you turn left, there's no going back to turning right, so you ruin it for life. <laughs> so I got a message from Jesse last night saying, babe, we need to earn more money. <laughs> anyway, I'm continuing the, um, the series on the Sermon of the Mount. I think it's been pretty eye-opening the, yeah. last, the last, how long have we done it now? It's almost two months. Two months yeah. Um... So it's. Uh, can someone give me some water? Jay. Okay. Manually. Right. Um, it's been pretty eye opening walking slowly through the scriptures and um, getting context and an understanding of uh, what Jesus was teaching during that time. And, um, okay, man, i going to put my style up now. Sorry, I'm making me run around. Thanks, my Cool. So, this is not normally how I preach, get given the scripture and get asked to exegesis it. But um, it's actually been really eye-opening and I've really, really enjoyed it. But if you'd asked me on the last scripture in the world I'd probably preach on, would probably be this one. Um, I've probably only read it once before, and I've probably skimmed over it, but to actually be asked to go in depth and try to understand what Jesus was saying has been, has been really interesting. So let's just read through it, and then I'm just going to walk us through um, line by line and unpack it. So it's Matthew 5, 33 and 37, and uh, I think we'll give it a heading, Truth and Integrity, because sometimes we talked about Jesus redefining adultery, Jesus redefining hate, Jesus the salt, salt and light. But this heading will probably be truth and integrity. So let's read uh, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is His footstool. Or by Jerusalem for as the city of the great King. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So I must admit that I've never really looked at the Scripture closely, as I said. So it's been a lot of fun. And I think the biggest thing I realised that context is absolutely critical when you're not reading the Scriptures in the Bible. We are in a generation living 2,000 years after the times and people of Jesus. It's a really different time, and we need to understand the context that these people lived in. Um, so let's pick these scriptures apart line by line. Um, just start off with the first half of verse 33. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago. Throughout Jesus' ministry and his and his his life, and especially the time he started teaching, he would say things. Again, you have heard that it was said. It was said, but now I say unto you. So immediately when we, we um, hear those words, we know that the rabbis is about, about to quote Scripture. Again, you have heard. So you can just imagine thousands of people around Jesus, in the servant of the Mount, and him saying, Again, you have heard that it was said. There would have been a, a hush, because they know he's about to introduce Scripture. And even, even more than that, they know he's about to take Scripture to a whole other level. He's going to bring it to a deeper understanding and deeper revelation. I just wrote you, um, he's about to give a truer and deeper meaning that the people have received in the day from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been teaching, teaching, teaching the law. But Jesus was a, a revolutionist and he's flipping those things over, flipping those things over. And they're kind of standing there going, what holy cow is he about to to this time. <laughs> and um, it, it must have been amazing just being around them because he he's going to flip things on their head. So let's just see what he wants to flip on his head. So he goes into verse 34. Sorry, taken off of verse 33. Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. So let's just look at what an oath is. Um, I think we... We we know from our own times that you get a courtroom oath. I have us swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. You see that in all the movies we watch with court court dramas. So that would be a, so that would be an oath. And then of course we have vows. When you stand in marriage and you face your, your partner, you're gonna make a vow, a public vow to to make a promise to what you're gonna do in your life. So um uh, oaths and and vows aren't um, uncommon to us. As you're going to see, they were really common in the time that Jesus was living in and the time of the the Jews. So a quick definition of an oath. An oath involved invoking God's name or substitutes for it to guarantee the truth of one's statements. So basically, it's a proof that you're telling the truth. Uh, It's to prove that you're telling the truth. So I wanted to really make an emphasis that I was um, really meaning what I was saying. I would swear by God, or I'd I'd, I'd swear on my mother's life, or i swear on my heart, or... We're evoking something to guarantee the truth of the statement. We're really trying to just prove that we're telling the truth. And um, this wouldn't be foreign to the the Jews at all. Um, If you read Numbers 3.20, which I'll just read they would have understood the scripture. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything that he said. So, um, they would be really steeped in vows and, um, and, and, and uh, sorry, in, and in oaths. And, when Jesus brought up the scripture, they would immediately have all those things coming to mind. So, we understand that, uh, Vows and oaths were kind of important in our day, but they were super important in Jesus' day. So just to do a little bit of context of that, um, you've got to understand that the oral tradition of the time uh, was really powerful. Uh, culture uh, culture revolved around language. You've got to imagine there were no signatures, no lawyers drawing up contracts, no bank accounts. Most business deals were conducted verbally. So you can imagine. Uh, the language of the time, when people were making agreements, it was done in person, it was done publicly, so I'd come and declare something and people would hold me accountable. So, keeping your word in that day suddenly had massive implications. Um I'll just read two points I had here. Culturally, to not fulfill a vow was seen as a sin, shameful, and unrighteous act. Uh, when an oath was made, it was inviting or evoking the right to be judged and held accountable. So as soon as I came forward and made a, and made an oath, I would, I would be inviting judgment from the public. And so you're putting yourself under a lot of pressure. So it was really powerful, and the whole culture was, was based upon these declarations. So anyway, Jesus says here, and flips it on its head, but I tell you, you're going to verse 34, but I tell you, can okay, you just keep the scripture on the, on the screen? Thanks. But I tell you, do not swear an oath of all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So, um, Jesus was kind of saved, and at all costs, you need to actually avoid these oaths and vows in general. And I just want to just read my notes here and explain why he said that. Um, we need to understand the context. <coughs> because as I've just been describing, in Jesus' day, oath-taking had become absolutely ridiculous. People swearing in various degrees. For example, for the most serious claim, you would swear by God. But usually this was avoided. Most people would swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or even their own heads. People believed such oaths were of lesser significance than swearing by God. But Jesus condemns the entire sentiment behind lesser and greater oaths. He argues that everything, heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and your head, is connected to God's authority and sovereignty anyway. Yeah. To swear by anything in creation is to indirectly swear by the Creator too. So, just what was going on in their culture was to a lot of the scriptures said we swear by God and we swear by His name. And, and what Often happened in that time, the Pharisees and Sadducees introduced even more levels, and it it had become absolutely ridiculous. So people were no longer swearing by God, they were swearing by heaven. But what Jesus is saying in the scripture, if you look at verse 34, is there's no point in swearing by heaven because God has his throne in heaven anyway. And it's no good swearing by earth because earth is his footstool. And it's no good swearing by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king anyway. And do not swear by your head, and you cannot even make one hair white or black. So they have all these levels of varying oaths, and Jesus said, "What's the difference? They're all linked to God anyway, because they're linked to His, uh, they're linked to his, his sovereignty, and they're linked to God's authority." So Jesus is just flipping that over. He gives, he gives, he gives an answer for every different way they are wanting to do vows in a new way. So the point Jesus is. Is, is, is making is that we should av- avoid taking these oaths and swearing by anything. But, but why should we why should we avoid it? So I just wanted to to follow t- two ideas of why he was saying avoid doing these things. And I think this is where the rubber hits the road a little bit with this scripture because we can start applying it to our own life. So the things I want to bring up now, I think, <coughs> I felt like as I started just teaching it and revealing it, God's going to just unpack it in your own heart. Because a lot of it's got to do with what comes out of your mouth, um, what you use your tongue for, and areas of integrity in our lives. So, the first reason that Jesus discourages oath-taking is that it reveals the double standard of truthfulness. So, if we just... Following on for that, a double standard of truthfulness. Michael Eaton writes, it is in effect saying, I'm not always bothered about telling truth, but at this point I really am. Wow. But if we insist that we're telling the truth now, then what is happening at other times? Jesus wants us to adapt a standard of truthfulness truthfulness which will become our style of talk at all times. Jesus' instruction is not to be taken as a new law but in the spirit of indicating such a love of truth that so far as we're concerned, there should be no need of oaths. Our speech should be honest. So if, if you, if you, if you, the double was truth, that one time I swear by God and the other time I don't swear by anything, it's like I'm using that oath just to kind of add an emphasis. Oh, well, this time I'm telling the truth. And there's a double standard in there. And Michael Eden says it so well. It is in effect saying I'm not always bothered, bothered about telling the truth, but at this point, I really am. So it's like a double standardness. So we can see how all of these oaths and these vows have started to create this double standardness of truth. And the heart of the matter was, integrity wasn't really the heart anymore. It was a, it was a ducking and diving and a way to try and manipulate. So the second reason is that taking an oath, this is the second reason, is that taking an oath can sometimes be very manipulative. It is manipulative because it attempts to add weight To our fallible claim by calling far greater powers to endorse it. It attempts to overwhelm a person to agree with us or believe us. After all, it's not possible that what we're saying is not entirely true. Our speech should be non-manipulative. So I think we can relate that in our in our lives as well. How do we how do we when we're talking manipulate what we're saying to try and persuade someone else? So Jesus is is pulling out this thing saying, hey, the way you guys are doing this, is totally misusing the idea of oaths and vows. And you're starting to use it manipulatively. Uh, Jesus also applied in his teaching that our speech should be non-defensive. By this I mean that the time that we're most likely to swear swear by an oath is when we're being falsely accused. We rightly defend, we might defensively respond by saying, I swear to God, or in my mother's life, or on the Bible, that I didn't do that. But we must be non-defensive in how we answer. We must simply say, yes, I did that, or no, I didn't. And that if we're telling the truth, God will confirm in His own time and manner. A real challenge to us. As Proverb 12.3 puts it, those who guard their lips guard their lives, but He who speaks rashly will come to ruin. So... Yeah, that's just another area where our speech can become manipulative if we were being falsely falsely accused we say I swear by God um, I swear on my mother's life I swear on the Bible and we're trying to defend our position instead of really just trusting trusting the Lord that he will bring the truth and um, God will confirm the truth in his own time and manner what a challenge to us just to take our hands off the control there and for our speech to just be yes or no and um, so if we keep going. Um, We're on to verse 37 now. Um, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Um, Jesus then, I'll just read it again. Jesus then tells us all you need to say is simply yes or no. Verse 37. In his letter, James, if you're taking your notes and look it up later, verse 5, verse 12, Jesus teaching on the mat, uh, sorry, James paraphrases Jesus teaching on the matthew by saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So James goes and repeats exactly what Jesus said. So let's just look at the last, the last bit there, which is, that anything beyond this comes from the evil one, um, you might have made think, oh, that's quite epic. but let's just um, understand how Jesus is unpacking that. What does Jesus mean by anything beyond this comes from the evil one? It means firstly that it is Satan-like to try being manipulative with words and, and to have double standards of truthfulness, as we just mentioned. Satan is the father of lies, John 8:44. Satan never says what he means and never means what he says. But as disciples of Jesus, what we say should be what we mean, and what we mean should be what we say. Secondly, it suggests that the devil works destructively into lies and situations where we speak in a way that manipulates exaggerates, deceives and is careless So I think Jesus is just taking this up a notch here and saying anything beyond this comes from the evil one Where well, he's really challenging us and saying when your yes isn't just yes And your no isn't no and you start to start to use manipulative tools um, You're actually partnering with the devil because you're actually sowing confusion into the hearer. So that's really the power of your tongue. As we we speak, we should be edifying and just bringing truth and and leaving it at that. But um, Jesus is really having a go here, the idea that as soon as our tongue becomes manipulative, we're actually partnering with the evil one because he is the father of lies. So massive challenge to us and um, just before I go into prophetically what I felt the Lord was saying this morning, and we're just going to do a little bit of ministry into that. Um, just going through this, um, going through the this, this scripture, there was quite a debate actually from a number of theologians saying, "Is Jesus saying we should never make a vow? Is Jesus saying we should never?" Um, what's my second word? You <laughs> should never make an oath. So just, just by note, here, Jesus commands his people not to take... Does Jesus command his people to not take an oath at all? Is that really what he wants? Some people, believe, some people believe that, but if that is the case, how could anyone get married? Because we take, we take vows in our marriages. What about when we enter a courtroom, as I said at the beginning of the talk, and take an oath with a hand in our Bible? So Jesus is not saying that taking an oath is a sin. If you want to just write these down, you can check them out later. God made oaths, Hebrews 6. Jesus responded when he was called to an oath in Matthew 26. And Paul swears by the name of Jesus in his letters. So there is a place for taking oaths, but they are used sparingly. In scripture, we see them being used for two reasons. One, to convince those who do not know us well that what we say is true, or secondly, to make a very serious commitment to a covenant. So Jesus is not here trying to put this thing on like the impossibility of never making a vow, never making an oath, but he's, he's t- challenging us straight to the heart here about truth and in- integrity and what comes out of our mouth. So. Just a couple of, of prophetic things i thought the lord was saying this morning we can just pray and some more worship um, there's an awesome scripture that I, that I often meditate on out of the mouth flows out of the mouth flows an overflow of the heart if you were to take a little acid test on yourself and just say what am i speaking it's really the fruit of what's in your heart because you can cover it up for quite a long time you can you can cover up your heart with what you say. But eventually it overflows. And in the moment of anger or in the moment under pressure, it's actually in your heart overflows. So, this scripture is about um, Jesus going for our hearts once again. he's asking us, um, What is truly in your heart? And when we start to have that unravel, our speech changes. And this is what he's really going for here. So, just some questions that I'm posing that I also pose to myself. Is my is my speech manipulative? Do I tr- do I trust in the Lord or do I need to wangle a situation? And often that wangling comes because of my unbelief. I'm just nervous that God isn't going to be there for me, or I'm nervous of this goodness. So I use my tongue to just wangle or to manipulate something just slightly. So is my speech manipulative? Do I over exaggerate? And um, I wrote you. Um, why do people over-exaggerate? And it's often that part of your very frail ego that is propping you up. You need to just make your story just sound that little bit better. And we had that joke, don't let the facts get in the way of your story. But it, it's so true. We, um, we embellish because we try to prop up um, that often that false sense of ourselves that we portray to all around us. And um, one of the... Um, videos to just prepare this was a lady speaking in America and she started to sort of expound on, on social media. I'm not going to go into that a lot, but how much of our social media is just embellishments of presenting to the whole world what our lives are like. It's if our lives are really like our Instagram accounts. It's highly unlikely. So there's even in our actions and embellishments and over-exaggeration that a mask we put forward and it's not always the truth. The of over of the Jesus is asking us, is our speech manipulative? Jesus is saying do I over exaggerate? Jesus is saying, Am I defensive when people when people bring the truth against me? This wonderful thing that I mentioned earlier. If we're telling the truth, God will confirm in his own time and matter in time and manner we can we can let it go. I need to be defensive. And and the last one I had you, am I deceptive by omission in my speech? Do I never quite give the full truth when I'm speaking? It's very simple just to omit some part of what the truth is, also to carry a slightly manipulative manipulative way. So yeah, that's it. That's the unpacking of the 33 to 37. I think I think when we go deeper we're once again just struck by Jesus' is his, um, his his desperation to lay on our hearts and to, to bring about significant change. So let's just stand, guys. Thanks. So let's just we're gonna have a few more songs and a bit of prophetic flow and just simply what I felt the Lord wanting to do this morning was just do some realignment in our hearts and especially in the area of trust and maybe in areas of disappointment, I think um, especially in the, in, the, in the area of trust when we when we really struggle to, to fully lay hold of God as for God is with me God is good. He's working all things together. When I'm not walking fully in in that truth, I start to control, and the easiest way we control is with our tongues. We know in James that a slight shift in the udder of the boat is like our tongue, moves the whole boat. So I I just feel like the Lord is just challenging us this morning on coming back to a real place of of trust in His goodness where speaking truth and having integrity is all right. I can let go. And um, I also just feel like he's speaking into the area of disappointment. And I think often what happens in, in, in disappointment is that we actually we actually feel kind of hurt. We kind of feel like the Lord has missed us or we, he hasn't got his hand on us. And we can't really trust life. We can't really trust the flow of the Spirit in our life. And... Um, once again, that um, <coughs> that root of disappointment can form a root of a root of, of offence, and that offence can cause us to want to take control, and we can lose our integrity. So I believe, just as we go into this time of um, of worship, why don't we just just bring ourselves before the Lord? I don't I don't feel like it's going to be a a time of really us uh, speaking a lot, maybe just listening waiting for God, just to realign in us these, in these places. And I believe it's just going to be gentle. Um, just, I just felt like the, the Lord wants to just wash over us. I've got warm water. Just gently. So Father, we just thank you for what you've revealed to us in the Scriptures. Jesus, we just thank you for how you, you bring your truth. Gently, Lord. But also with a sharpness, Lord, that convicts us. And Lord, not in our conviction to change our behavior. You're not interested in our behavior being changed, Lord, but you're interested in our hearts being realigned back to you. So thank you, Jesus, that you come gently and realign our hearts. Thank you, Lord. We long to be living epistles to the the world. Scripture says we are living epistles read by all men. Your life is a living epistle. Because it declares the goodness of god it declares the salvation of god it declares who god is to the world and i feel lord just challenging us this morning again saying your witness is precious your witness in your family your witness at work your witness to your friends is precious and he wants us to be people of truth people of integrity because god's light shines through that to the world jesus won't you come Thank <laughs> you.